to. This is The Week Ahead, brought to you by Advisorpedia and powered by Tomatica Research. I'm Chris Versace, Tomatica's Chief Investment Officer, and joining me as always, but especially though so this week, to break down all the important economic data we received is Tomatica's Chief Macro Strategist, Lenore Hawkins. Lenore, how was the week? In the markets, it was kind of a yawnville. There just wasn't that much going on, you know, except, except so overall, the, the major indices were really pretty boring. Um, basically, everyone was not changed a whole well, lot, less than 1% on the week. That said, not the same for those usual meme stocks. Those guys are having a blast again. They're back. No one's yawning there. Um, through Thursday's <laughs> close, Nokia up 10.7%, which, you know, you think like in a, you know, we, like that, that seems meaningful, except you know, you're right. Bed Bath that- & Beyond is up 20.4%. Costco, Costco, say that five times fast. Costcorp, Costcorp, Costcorp. Uh, okay, really? Like I, I had my first <laughs> cup of coffee. That's just not necessary. <laughs> it's up almost 50%. Blackberry up almost 70%. And then the big boy, the one and only, the one that even even issued new shares and yet still bump, bump, bump. Wait, wait, wait. To be up. And, and declared a popcorn dividend. Don't forget. Declared a popcorn dividend. The one, the only, the AMC Entertainment. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, that 160, is... 160. So I, I I agree with you that, you know, all in all, despite the economic data that we got, it was kind of a met week, but but that that's kind of where we are. I mean, you know, the yeah, last the season, season. I think that's yeah. a technical term for it, like June, July, August, is sort of May. Although well, August the, the... can get, depending on central banks, August can get a little exciting. And we do have the Fed talking about, you know, sort of a taper-ish. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I, I think there, there's four months of the year in particular, June being one of them, where yeah. we're just coming off the onslaught of earnings season. We're in this, as, as we'll talk about later, in this conference uh, season wind up, people are waiting to hear what's going on and how's the quarter going to close and, and all this other stuff. And we, we tend to drift a little sideways, at least on the news front. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Plus, this is also this year we have so much enthusiasm built up uh, for this blockbuster second half of the year that I, I still just don't think we're going to get. Um, oh, I agree with that. The the markets, even even Bitcoin was kind of meh this week um, after a very volatile time last week where it's gone from an initial high of almost 64,000 drop down to under 30,000. This week it managed to to kind of hold its it's a little bit of a rebound between like 37,000 and 38,000. But it's still despite all that it still manages to be up um, about 33% year to date. That's and crazy. gold gold interestingly enough um while it had last August broke above 2,000 it's still below 1900 um hasn't really shown a whole lot of enthusiasm this year. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thinking what you said about these meme stocks and I'm looking at the rest of the market, you know, the NASDAQ's up about a little over, you know, just shy of 6%. S&P's up close to 12. Dow's up 13. Russell's up almost a little over 15% being the, the strong performer, at least on yeah, a year-to-date basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking as we slow down through the summer, I think we're likely to have what can only be called like a groundhog day summer where we know that we're going to get data we know that people are going to be looking 
try and interpolating how strong is the economy going, but we know we have supply chain constraints. We know input prices are rising. And I think we're just going to cycle through that and, until, as we talked about here previously, like largely September, when we might actually see something break through, whether it's because the, um, the pandemic-led federal uh, jobless benefits totally expire and people are forced to get off their couches, right, and go forward, or perhaps that's when the Fed thinks we might finally see signs that these the inflation comments that we keep hearing about are truly transitory. I, I just think there's going to be a lot of sideways, if you will, until the September timeframe. Well, let's put it in context too. If we weren't all jacked up on stimulus the way we were last year, <laughs> wait, wait, I'm market... sorry. Are you talking? Are you talking about that caffeine, or are you talking about monetary? A little stimulus? bit of both. A little bit okay. of both. Still early in the morning for me. <laughs> um, the having the S and P up eleven point six percent that that's pretty good for a year. Year, yeah. Let alone just five months, and that's basically what we're talking about here. The Russell at fifteen point four percent. You wouldn't look at that and go, oh, kind of a down year, right? That that's pretty good for an entire year. And here we are trying to 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 do another knock it out of the ballpark after last year the markets went completely bonzo in light of the worst health crisis the world has known in over hundred years. So you know, there's that. So moving on, moving so me, on. Um, so let me let me ask you this. I, I know you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I, I wrestle with Twitter quite a bit. Uh, I can't decide if I really want to be on it, if it's a total time suck or whatever. Is so, that because it's making you blue? Uh, could be, could be. But blue is an interesting comment because they, they are, they're talking about a subscription offering for Twitter. And, and there's been a lot of talk about Called this. Called Twitter blue called Twitter blue. That's right. And I, I just can't decide, like, is it worth paying for? What incremental services are they going to give me that is really worth it? And then on the flip side, you know, are they going to charge enough to make it worthwhile for themselves as, as a real revenue stream? And I, I, I just can't figure it out. But, but what do you think? Because I, I know they made some news about Twitter blue last week. Well, I, I, I think that Twitter doesn't know. Because Twitter is launching <laughs> this, and I think what, it's very telling that that Twitter is going to launch Twitter Blue in Canada and Australia, two not exactly massively populated areas, right? Um, to try and better understand what users want, they're going to charge about three dollars a month and give some enhancements. Uh, like you can undo a tweet within thirty seconds. I haven't really found that to be like some terrorizing thing. I can I can see my typo, copy the tweet, delete the tweet, redo the tweet, <laughs> fix my typo, which is, that's basically what I do well, every that's, time I tweet. That's, that I think um, would be the biggest feature that they could add anybody is the ability to edit They're giving tweets. extra bookmark folder to Ooh. help, you know, better organizing and all that. And a reader mode so that you can go through threads a little bit easier. Um, I think what is interesting is that according to a, I can't remember who was my, a survey I just read, that about... 90, was it 90, 92% of the tweets out there come from about 10% of users. So that would mean maybe, maybe at most you would get 10% of users to sign up for this. So that's kind of an interesting economics. Well, um, I, I, I will say this, that, you know, I, I've had tweet deck up from time to time. And I do wonder about some of these people who they appear, they appear to tweet like every 10 minutes. And I like, how do you hold down a job and do that? I just don't get it. They have to use a tool to do it. Like they're not actually tweeting. They're just, they just act up their tweets ahead of time. I hope, I, I think, I don't know. Otherwise anyway, get a life. Anyway, tell me about Costco because I heard that they blew it out again in May, double digits. 
Do you think this is a sign that the consumer is still spending those stimulus checks and more, com more comfortable with the economy? So what I have, from talking to people in, in various industries, what I have heard is there seems to be like kind of a shift instead of the, the demand, right? We've been hearing about lumber's the new gold mm -hmm. because everybody's been doing all this home improvement is that the shift, it's starting to shift away from the home improvement and starting to go towards travel because it's like, yes, we can mm. Well, you're free. You're, we're free. House. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So there's, I, I, I think what we're probably seeing with Costco is woohoo party at my house. <laughs> people can get together right you're gonna have that backyard barbecue and we can all finally get together and see one another closer than six feet away and where i can see more than just your eyes it's kind of exciting i, I think that's right thing. with that note I, I did see something that makeup sales are going through the roof as the mask is removed gotta get lipstick now there you go there you go gotta get lipstick all right, so let, let's uh, move on real quick. So uh, last week, cybersecurity stocks, man, that yet another confirming data point for cybersecurity stocks when uh, meat processing company JBSSA uh, was hacked both in uh, Australia and in North America, uh, disrupting meat production. And, and that doesn't sound like a big thing, but when we think about how we have to eat every day and the ripple effect of in terms of a pricing perspective, when those plants go down, I mean, it's tremendous. It's, it's, it's a, you know what I call it? I call it a sneak attack. That's what I call it. You know, if I was going to hack a meat packing plant, I think I'd have pop up on everybody's screen. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Or, or, or maybe uh, if it's a beef processing plant, you have them uh, steal from Chick-fil-A. You know, yeah, eat more chicken. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, but but so all, all all kidding aside, that is just the latest in a growing number yeah. of high-profile ransomware attacks. And I, I think it's fair to say that it keeps us very bullish on cybersecurity stocks. And I'm not saying that because we have a cybersecurity and data privacy index, but just just more confirming data points. Yeah, no, it's just it's 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 the 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 hacking is everywhere. Correct, <laughs> it's just getting it's more and more pronounced, but something near and dear to my heart. Is, I was, uh, yes, super excited about this. So United Airlines <laughs> is looking to bring back the supersonic jet. Fantastic. They've ordered 15 <laughs> aircraft from Denver based startup, boom, supersonic that are capable of flying. Get this at 1.7 Mach. That's almost twice the speed of sound. Their cruising altitude would be about 60,000 feet, really high. And they're expected to potentially be passenger ready as early as 2029. Um, they're expecting to carry around 65 to 88 passengers and it'll cut the time they're going to do because you can't, it's still illegal to fly supersonic over the continental US. Mm -hmm. So they will be doing the transatlantic and transpacific. So they'll be going from like New York uh, to London, from I think it was San Francisco to Tokyo. We'll cut the the time roughly in half. That's awesome. I, I, I hear you talking about that. And I just think of that uh, old print commercial for Memorex. Yep. The guy's got his hair all blown back. Oh so I, I, I look forward to that too. I, the only other, <laughs> the other thing that I would point out is mark your calendars, folks. Uh, Amazon has announced Prime Day is going to be a two event, June 21st, 22nd. That helps explain why Amazon gave such bullish guidance for the current quarter. 
Um, but they've already promised something like 2 million deals. And rumor has it someone might be in the market for a new Kindle. So we'll, uh, we'll be sure to report back on that. Now, Lenore, let's, let's break down the economic data of last week. As we, as we hinted last week, it was the, it's the first full week of the month. Uh, a lot of key data. What did you make of it? Okay, first off was Friday's jobs report, report which came in just like last month, it came in weaker than expected. 559,000 new jobs versus expectations for 671,000. So that's a pretty big miss, but it was up considerably from last month's 266,000. So a significant miss, but definitely faster pace than last. Um, the unemployment rate did drop to 5.9 from 6.1, but the broader measure, which really is looking at, because the unemployment rate is just those people actively looking for the job for jobs. The broader measure is people who are like part-time and they don't want to be part-time or who've just said, eh, I'm not even going to bother trying right now. That's at about 10.2%. So what that tells you is that there's still a lot of slack in the job market. Now the market's we're pretty pleased by that, which is sort of a surprise, right? Because what we've seen is when the economic data comes in weaker than expected, the markets have been eh, not so pleased about that. Now, my suspicion on this is we want some stimulus. And we've talked about how the markets want some more stimulus. They, they love the little stimulus. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. About, were, were you just hitting your arm like you needed like, a fresh a shot of stimulus, junk? Little, little stimulus. Um, the we've had this strange conversation going on in DC where you have Janet Yellen on the one hand saying, we might need to raise rates to cool an overheating economy. And you have the Biden administration on the other hand saying, we need more stimulus. Right. So it's right. Sort of a, that, that's a unique combo. Um, I think when you see a weaker than expected jobs number, it gives the market hope that at least the Fed is unlikely to be doing anything dramatic and potentially give a little bit of a tailwind to the potential for more, um, more yeah. stimulus. And what we did see on that stimulus front, we'll talk about that a little bit later is um, Biden willing to, to, he's willing to do an awful lot to get this, the spending that he wants. Um, I, the, con the comment I heard real quick about the jobs report is that it was Goldilocks. Yeah. You know, just enough to keep everything going the way it is. I really wish we could get rid of that Goldilocks comment in the market. Like that, I swear, it's like everything is like, are we going to get Goldilocks? Uh, no, I know. Something I different. Know. Um, but speaking of the Fed, uh, so on Thursday, we heard from Fed official Dudley. Um, he wrote in a Bloomberg column about the inflation. And so these are things to just keep in mind because this is kind of what the Fed's looking at. For us to really have inflation that we need to worry about, first, you need a booming labor demand market. The reality is that we've got more than 10 million jobs shy of where we would be had the pandemic not happened. So that's a lot of slack in the labor market. So not there. Second, you need to see wage growth, which has to not just accelerate, but has to accelerate to a point where any sort of productivity gains are kind of wiped out by the rise. So if, if wages go up 2%, but productivity goes up 6%, all right, the improvement in productivity is wiping out any of the increased costs and in wages. So far, we haven't seen that. And third, we really have to see inflation expectations just go bonkers where people are just you know really panicking so far, despite all of the headline hand-wringing, the actual metrics are not there that inflation expectations are really getting out of control. So the reality is our output gap remains. We've got just about 75% uh, of industry, 
capacity utilization, which means there's still a lot of room there. And a 10.2% use six unemployment rate um, dropped down from 10.4 previously, but that's also tells you plenty of slack in the labor pool. So bottom line, still need to be keeping an eye on this. It's not something that we can ignore, but for now, I'm still in the transitory camp. Well, hang on one second. Hang on one second. You, you, you just said that inflation isn't really concerning you, but at the same time, we've seen you know global food prices really move higher. Yep. Because not all rising prices are because of inflation. So if we dig in to what's going on with food prices, and it is, it's, it's, when you see a significant rise in food prices, that's a pretty brutal regressive tax, meaning those who are at the lower income levels get hit a lot harder than those that are at the higher income level. So it's definitely not something you want to see. Um, the UN Food and Agricultural Organization's monthly index actually jumped 40% in May. Now, what happened here is one, we've talked about this a lot, rise in transport costs. Right. As we try to get the supply chain sorted out, you have boats in the wrong places and you have empty cargo containers in the wrong places. So trying to get stuff shipped around the world where it needs to go is still working out the kinks on that. We've seen a material increase in oil prices, right? And that's the cost of moving stuff around as well. So that's affecting it. China's rising demand for grain and soybeans, that population over there, right? China's the biggest uh, importer of raw materials which really hurting it so hard is a severe drought in Brazil because that's the they're the biggest exporter of corn and soybeans so you had a huge cut to supply and also a growing demand for vegetable oil for biodiesel so here where we see where that push for a kind of cleaner environment is also affecting food right and that's that's not ideal so you're seeing a demand shock, more demand for vegetable oil for biodiesel fuel, a supply shock with Brazil, sorting out the supply chains, oil price, that's going to stabilize that as well. Because I mean, if you recall, we, we had just last year where a barrel of oil went negative. So mm -hmm. that's another one that's kind of working out the key. So yes, we're seeing these spikes, still going to stay, still going to call this one transitory. Even despite what we're seeing in housing, which still seems to be elevated, or is that, or is that just in your thinking a bubble? Um, I think it's more a bit of a bubble. Um, house prices worldwide are up seven point three percent in twenty twenty one through March. That's the fastest pace since the end of get it? Guess this? Oh, oh two thousand six. We all know what happened after that. Not not a great time to be buying a house. Um, so when you look at U.S. housing, let's just do a little reality check. Homeowners pulled out 49 billion out of their equity in the first quarter. Now that's the highest level since, oh, here's another number you might recall, 2007, uh-oh, right? Now that's up nearly 80% over 2020. That's a lot of cash flow support for household spending that came in Q1. Now, when we think about consumer spending in Q2, right? Because we keep hearing, oh, well, the savings rate, it's all of this dry kindling. And that just means consumers are going to spend a ton. That spending has been subsidized by people pulling money out of their homes. Not likely to continue to be able to do that at that pace we've seen. And we're not going to see quite the same level of stimulus. So that consumer spending, these are some reasons to really question super strong consumer spending. Um, we also saw mortgage applications for the week of May 28th, the latest data. The 
mortgage applications continue to drop. The level of mortgage applications are right now down to where it was February 21st, 2020. Not a good time. We're seeing all kinds of indications in, in housing with purchases with mortgages signal that things are starting to slow there. Does it, do you get a little worried? I'm just thinking over what you just said and some of the data points you rattled off that we could see a mini uh, housing issue crop, crop up in let's say 2022 where people are no longer using their homes as ATMs again and the spending spigot stops and infrastructure possibly stalls. Does that make you nervous? Um, yes, I think we are going to see something like that, but we're not going to see anything that will be like what we saw in 06, 07, because the volume is completely different, but it is something to keep an eye on. It's just the magnitude of the pain will not be at the level we saw back then. But it would likely result in a far slower economy, just given the influence of the consumer and, and consumer spending on the overall economy. Yeah, it's just, it's one more headwind. People not pulling money out of their homes to spend, right? Mm-hmm. People not getting the stimulus checks to spend. Right. Now that that's the second half. I'm not thinking second half is going to be knocking out of the ballpark. Um, right. So real right. quick, the other two big things, manufacturing PMI, both came in stronger than expected. Um, global manufacturing activity has reached the highest level since 2010. Not a surprise, right? We had basically lockdowns last year, not a whole lot going on. It, everything had to really clamp down. So you're going to see, just to kind of even out, you're going to see well above normal levels of production. Um, some promising news on the inflation front there with manufacturing is that prices rose at a slightly lower pace in May than in April, still at elevated levels, but getting better. Um, service sector, which you would, this one, you would not, not at all surprised to see, because if you think about for the pandemic services hit a lot harder than manufacturing, right? Cause services is more people intensive. Um, so the steepest pace of expansion in the service sector since, uh, data collection began back in 2009 pace of job creation weekend though. So that kind of gave us a he- little bit of a heads up that the jobs number was not going to be as strong as expected. Um, firms are continuing to report difficulty filling positions and in service sectors while you're seeing input cost inflation for the seventh consecutive month. So what's the bottom line? So we're already starting to see estimates for the economy for Q2 GDP coming under the ninth. A month ago, uh, the Atlanta Fed nowcast was at 13.6%. Now it's down to 103 the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index, the SESI, which is something I, I follow pretty tightly, that rolled over to where it was last June when the economy was in a lockdown mode and we were five months away from getting any kind of announcement on the vaccines. Overall, the economic recovery is showing signs of slowing. Great. Just as we go into the second half of the year, the market's up, depending on the indicator, double digits. The question becomes, what's the stimulus to drive it higher? Or not stimulus, sorry, catalyst to drive it significantly higher. All right. Well, that was last week. What couple data points are you looking for in the week ahead? So uh, Tuesday, there's uh, we get the trade balances. So last month, the when we got the report on this, the trade deficit in March had widened to a new record high of 74.4 billion, up from 70.5 billion in February. And that was driven primarily by a 6.3 increase in imports to a all-time high. We'll be looking to see if that kind of import level, are we continuing to see that pace? 
And also on Tuesday, we're going to get the JOLTS report. That's the job openings, labor turnover rate. What I'll be looking for there is job openings. Now, job openings rose almost 600,000 to over 8.1 million in March. That's the highest level on record going back to December of 2000, way above expectations for, for 7.5 million. I'll be looking to see what's going on with those job openings versus hirings because we continue to see where we've got a lot of people on the sidelines that want a job. We have a lot of job openings and employers are not finding the right match. That's a really big problem for the economy. Um, on Wednesday, like we were talking about, we're looking at the MBA mortgage applications index, seeing if that's continuing. We've seen a 4% drop after a 4.2% drop, seeing if that's gonna continue. The wholesale inventories for April, growth there has been slowing, right? So the wholesale inventories, first you gotta get in wholesale, before you get retail. So we'll be looking to see that's an kind of an earlier indication of the economy. Thursday, obviously the usual jobless claims. Um, also on Thursday comes the May treasury budget. So that's the budget for the federal government. And frankly, at this point, does anyone even <laughs> care? <laughs> but what was interesting this week is that um, the Biden administration has indicated a willingness to drop demands for an increase in U.S. corporate tax rates if they can get enough Republicans to agree to support the surge in infrastructure spending. So now that that's telling me a few things. One, still more and more people not giving a damn about the, the deficit. Yeah. And also, clearly, Biden's having a tough time pushing this through. Agreed. No, agreed. Now, Thursday also brings the May Consumer Price Index. Are, are you going to be yep. concerned with that? You're looking for the follow through for price increases to consumers? I'll be keeping an eye on it, but I'm still not going to be overly fussed until like August, September. That's when I'll start thinking it's a little bit more meaningful. Okay. Okay. And anything else to round out the week? Uh, we get Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index on Friday. Always good to hear how the consumer is feeling. Okay. All right. Well, let, let's rip through uh, some earnings and other things to watch in the week ahead. Uh, Monday, we got Marvell, uh, company's leading supplier to Samsung, Nokia, and Ericsson. So we're going to want to see what is Marvell experiencing on the chip shortage front? Is it, is, it, it, yeah, yeah. is it impacting its business? And when does it see any shortage, if, if there is one, coming to an end? Uh, also, too, the timing of this report is, is pretty interesting. They'll be one of the first chip companies to really discuss what it sees about the back half of the year. We'll be listening very closely for what it says on the 5G front. Uh, that's Monday. Tuesday, the 8th, Navistar, uh, heavy truck manufacturer, engine company. Look, you and I talk about this quite a bit. Uh, you know, trucks are one of the lifebloods of the economy. And I want to know, is Navistar seeing a rebound in new truck orders? And when we dig into those orders, is that because they're seeing continued order strength for ex the existing types of trucks, i.e. gas and diesel? Or are we seeing a pivot towards e-trucks? That's the one thing I really want to know. And then, Right, because uh, that's kind of putting a little noise into the system. Because is, is it... Is it that they're buying e-trucks to replace or mm -hmm. is it that we're increasing fleets? Because those are two very different messages. Cor absolutely correct. Um, so that's that's part of Tuesday. And between Tuesday and Wednesday, there are two companies, uh, Calivo Growers, which you and I both love. Why? Because it's all avocados all the time. And then Brown Foreman, uh, which is a spirits company. We're going to want to listen to what they have to say about the reopening and the demand that they're seeing from in dining at restaurants. That's, that's really gonna help us judge 
uh, what's happening at other companies that sell both into the home uh, and into the restaurants, companies like Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, that sort of thing. Um, also Wednesday, uh, I still, I still, ah, I can't talk. I still keep calling this company Restoration Hardware, even though they're now it's RH. They're, yeah, so cool. Now huh? they're hey, they're RH. Hey, <laughs> no, 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 are you going? You going to RH? I'm going to RH. No, it's weird. It's just weird. It's Restoration Hardware. It's strange. Right. Anyway, um, the company's going to report next week, and we'll want to see what it. Um, is making out uh, on the home spend front. Are people still doing repair remodels? Are they still seeing demand like that? But the other bigger question to me is they published a shareholder letter last week where they, well, they plan to really leverage the brand into new areas of business. And I'm, I'm hoping that they discuss more about this on this earnings call because I, I don't necessarily think of RH as a branded company, right? You know, you think of like Ralph Lauren, it's gone into paint, it's gone into sheets, da, 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 da. I see that. To me, RH is a store. So I'm not It'll sure be about interesting. that. I think what, what, one of the things that I wonder they, they could possibly be doing, and that's when we think about RH, keep in mind too, that this is part of that whole K-shaped recovery. RH caters to the higher income. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly pricey brand. Because uh, what we have seen, what I'm, I'm curious with RH is that we have seen a lot of these higher end brands have started to introduce kind of a rent the runway type of business model. Like Ralph Lauren has done this, where you, you tighten your relationship with the brand. And instead of just buying the product and being done with it, you can rent a piece mm -hmm, mm -hmm. furniture really fits into that and it'd be interesting to see if they're contemplating tightening their relationship with the consumer and turning things into more of an annuity where you could maybe not keep that dresser you bought for the next 20 years so so you're saying a high-end rent-a-center could be interesting okay a lot, right, well, a lot of economies moving that way we'll see we'll see all right so on uh thursday we've got national beverage uh i'll be looking out for new flavors for the sparking slow to lime but i also want to know are they taking share from sugary beverages and artificially sweetened ones um also thursday we've got chewy big winner online ordering for pet supplies and pet food i use it um but the thing is as we start to reopen do they has the subscription business grown enough to offset people may going out and about and picking up dog food while they're out and then uh, finally on the earnings front next week, we got Dave and Buster's. I'm thinking this should be a reopening winner as we talked about earlier. People just wanna get out and do almost anything. But the real thing I wanna find out is they've been in expansion mode by taking over vacant anchor tenants at malls. Are they continuing to do that? They might be the lifeline for malls, we will see. Um, and then just real quick, rounding out the week, um, a couple other items you wanna mark your calendars for, uh, Apple, on June 7th, the big WWDC 2021 keynote, going to be a big software Worldwide event. Developers Conference, for those who don't speak Apple. <laughs> Worldwide Thanks. Developers Conference, and they often will come up with some announcements around this. Yeah, mostly software that, that, that gets yeah, released exactly. later in the year, but you never know. And and sometimes Tim, Timmy Cook will give a uh, little up business update. Um, Thursday, uh, June 10th, we've got the next ECB policy meeting, so we'll want to understand what's going on there. And then the big thing next week even though the volume of earnings has fallen, the number of investor conferences, like I mentioned earlier, just jumps up. They've got about over 30 of them. And I mentioned this last week, I'll say it again, investors are gonna be wanting to look for clues as to what we're gonna hear, whether it's supply chains, input costs, demand, whatever. These conversations being had 
uh, are going to set the tone for what we hear when the June quarter earnings season kicks off, not too long after the July 4th holiday. And with that. And that. Is the week ahead. <laughs>